Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. If you do not want these human jerks spoiling the movie, stop the recording, for the rest of you. Do you want to play a game? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sons and daughters, welcome to Movie Trap. I am one of your hosts, Chris Bora. And I am Russell Carlson. And I am uh, a third one of your hosts, Zach Powers. <laughs> welcome, everybody. And uh, today, in the theme of bad cops, we are going to go ahead and jump into the Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a you know, a wiggle room needed for this one, but I'm going to allow it. But I, watch I, yourself, counselor. Yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> I, I do think this is a sly, I mean, it, it we can talk about when we get into it, but it, this was, uh, it, I see what you were doing and I get mm -hmm. it, but, and we'll allow it, but you know, you're on thin and ice, I, mister. I expect, uh, a great deal of our audience, even if they have not seen this movie is probably some familiarity with the real life experiment and probably understands a uh, sort of, sort of how this is a bit of a cheat, but, uh, yeah, we'll it's, get into that in a minute. You know, I would say it's a little bit of a cheat, too. But um, I would also argue that everybody can be a bad cop, potentially. Ah, okay. see, so, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's the idea that the system is, it's a systematic, anyway, we'll get into that. Yep. Yeah, we can get into it. Um, so, since I picked this one out, I guess I have uh, chosen to throw myself out there to actually say what this movie was and give us a brief rundown. Um, this movie came out in 2015, and it is about the Stanford Prison Experiment. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, it was an experiment run by uh, Phil Zimbardo, Philip Zimbardo. And uh, essentially what they did is they took a bunch of students randomly selected and uh, created a simulated prison in the basement at Stanford during a summer break. Um, this film essentially goes through all of that and uh, shows a dramatization of the things that were occurring. This film was interesting because when they told the story of the prison experiment, they actually had access to all of the archival footage tapes and Phillips and Bardo himself. When people have attempted to adapt this story previously, they usually add things to it or they do some version of it that isn't actually the story. Like there was a Adrian Brody film that came out called The Experiment, where at the end it turned into, I believe, shooting or people being stabbed or other things. None of that happens in this. This is essentially a bunch of teenage boys in college that are all at Stanford, and they're put into the cells for two weeks. It was supposed to go the whole length. It only makes it a week because it gets so intense that they have to shut it down for ethical reasons. Uh, and this was in uh, 1971. I don't think they mentioned this in the movie or in the prologue, but I, I think look this, this, this uh, experiment caused a few new, like, rules for how these kinds of experiments are conducted to come into being uh just for ethical uh yeah. reasons yeah the ethics on this were really troubling because well, they essentially like threw people into a situation that was uh scarring to some of them my understanding is the results of this experiment what they actually took from it and learned from it at least half of it was not exactly what they were looking for when they initiated it because I think they were looking more at the effect on the prisoners when they conceived of the experiment. And I think what most people know about the experiment and what a lot of Zimbardo has talked about in retrospect is the effect on the guards. Yeah, the power yeah. structure definitely uh, was the main thrust of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to let the, the ethics thing just kind of hang there um, because I, I, I wanted to ask this. I think given the time and place that this experiment uh, or I, I really think one of the guys in the movie says it best. This is really more of a demonstration than an experiment. It's 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 not really, you know, anyway, we'll get into that later. But I do you think the fact that it took place, that this experiment took place in the early 70s, late 60s had a factor in a the results and b the sort of drive to push this experiment as far as it could go um because I, it reminded me a lot of the ron james the ron jones experiment in 1967 the third wave experiment they made a yeah, german i movie was actually called gonna wave. bring that yeah. up too yeah yeah that happened in 1960 but that was in high school you know and this was a a, a demonstration of how it's 
bad, and uh, the guy found out and went way out of control. Why don't you? Uh, I I don't I don't know that I'm familiar with this thing yeah, myself. So why don't you briefly explain what the Ron okay. Jones so experiment as, is? So uh, uh, just off the top of my head, I mean, without really, I I've heard a podcast or episode or two about it, and they did make a movie about it. Um, it's called, and they made a, a like a fictionalized movie called The Wave about it. Um, basically, this history teacher, uh, was trying to. Who was actually pretty a pretty radical history teacher for his time, and I, I want to say it was California, but I don't know 100% sure. Um, um, actually, I can give some uh, location information. Uh, it was 1967. It's the third wave, and Ron Jones was a history teacher working at Cubberly High School in Palo Alto. So it's actually just an hour north of Stanford. So basically, in order to instruct his students on the how easy it can happen, how fascism can, Nazism specifically can happen. He basically made a demonstration to where basically assigned these people are these people, these people are these people, these people are these people, you people. We are about, this whole classroom is going to lead the school to greatness. It only happened over the course of a week, but it was a situation where they instilled like kind of draconian rules at the start. And then they started ramping up those rules and they noticed this strange thing that once the students started getting into the pattern they started like informing on each other and doing a bunch of other things that you would normally think were um pretty unseemly things that are uncharacteristic for children however in this case it was encouraged and it got to the point where um the teacher needed to end the um experiment he was running basically it was kind of a demonstration class lesson but um he announced to the kids that a third wave uh presidential candidate that was a secret reveal that only he knew about was going to be televised uh, in the gym on Friday at a big uh, group meeting. So they had a big convocation. And uh, when they showed up, nothing showed up on the screen. And then he got up and explained to him that he was trying to teach them all about fascism. And then they watched a documentary about the rise of fascism in Germany. And um, some of the scholarly information after that kind of questions how some of his... uh, experiment was run and some of the validity of some of it however a lot of the students from that actually still say that actually is how it happened and um have gone so far as to make documentaries it's a little different with the stanford prison experiment because they have film of everything the other right and this was commissioned by the government i mean like this was a commission yeah it's paid by the navy yeah yeah right and Um, i also expect that uh this third wave experiment probably didn't get as intense overall as some of the uh yeah. It got pretty bad on the to the bullying level, like yeah. ratting them out. It got pretty in singling out certain students, you know, who were the weak link or whatever. They they would do some fucking gym class or some shit. I don't know. Um, it, yeah. it, it 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 got pretty bad. But you're right, not nearly. But these are older people, mm-hmm. and again, I think you know the experiment was kind of pushing these guards to kind of push it further and and kind of make it. You know, it, it, it got to the point where it was almost... I, that's why I think I admire this film a lot is because I think it's a hard concept to execute um, mm-hmm. to just do a documentation as the narrative um, and, yeah. and without without dehumanizing the characters. But in this case, it almost works to the story's advantage to dehumanize the characters because as, as the film goes on, you start to realize that the researchers themselves... Uh, are it's revealing a lot about them as well, um, you know. So I, I think that that's it's a tough, tough thing to do. I could see why not too many people have attempted it, and why this probably took a long time to get together. Yeah, this, uh, if I remember correctly, the story is is that he uh, Tim Talbot, the screenplay writer, uh, wrote it in 2004, and it took until 2015 to actually get the film made. Yeah. I read that uh, he was commissioned in like 2002, even. And yeah, it was uh, development problems abound, including some issue that involved that other movie you mentioned, The Experiment, uh, the, that that went into production. Yeah, it seemed like yeah. it was a, quite a road to get this thing made. Yeah, there were a couple producers that approached the Zimbardo family over the years trying to get rights to it. And then they finally got the rights to it um, for this. However, it came with the strings attached that they had to be true to the story as much as they could be. That's impressive because it's not like Zimbardo comes off in a necessarily that's positive true. light in this. Um, yeah. That's impressive. Um, because they, they, they're not particularly kind on the main character. Like, there aren't too many sympathetic characters other than the victims. Yeah. Um, you know, like but, you... you but, in the same, but in the same breath, it seems like he's been pretty open about that in his own life. 
because when he writes about that. it and when he talks about it he mentions the uh the excesses of ethics and the problems he ran into pretty openly well he also mentions getting sued too that probably weighed pretty heavily on him as well <laughs> yeah i suppose it would be uh difficult to fully uh obfuscate this particular incident because it's fully recorded it's so heavily documented from what I understand, a lot of the actual dialogue, a lot of the actual things that occur are pretty much exactly what occurred in the experiment. Occasionally, one character will say something that in real life a different person said. But beyond that, it's supposed to be pretty true to life. The one part where I have to imagine they had some freedom was the dialogue between the researchers behind the scenes, which I'm sure probably was not recorded to the same extent. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's probably largely anecdotal. For sure. Yeah, yeah that um, would probably be a them being allowed to like have a little bit more leverage to branch out those characters and things like that. Because the uh, I would almost assume that all the stuff that they shot was almost more like editing the story than just writing it. Because you would have to like look at what actually happened and then mention it. Because some of the stuff that happened was pretty unbelievable that it would occur. Um, even in like just a sense like this. Like some of the really intense stuff that happens towards the end of the film. Where it's almost... You know, you could see how Abu Ghraib or something like that could occur. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, yeah. uh, it, it, it is, it underlines it. I mean, it, it is it is so easy. And this is where I think the problems with this experiment and the third wave uh, is, I think, pushing people to this instinct isn't necessarily hard. And I don't think it should be encouraged um, because we already know this about human nature. We already know the depths of cruelty that they could be pushed to, especially from an authoritative figure. We see it every fucking day. Uh, this is how the how and why of it. To do it in such a manner, you're really just participating in the process. You're really just demonstrating how bad it is. It's not necessarily you're going to learn anything other than the people who are actually part of it. Um, you know, that's why I, I... And again, the movie doesn't, like I said, doesn't handle it with kid gloves you know um but well i think the value of this is just the fact that it becomes clear that anybody who's put into that position will start making bad decisions sure no but my my, i think the ethical thing that i'm trying to bring up borf is that that no shit you know like that is it's it's been demonstrated in history over and over again well, yeah, but this is the specific moment where they were able to demonstrate it from beginning to end as opposed to uh, like a lot of uh, the claims that Nazis had after World War II was that I was just following orders, which, you know, that might be correct, but it's also very troubling to think that a normal person could be a Nazi. Um, like finding out that most of the Nazi prison guards were elementary school teachers. Mm-hmm. Because Librarians were, and whatnot. Yeah, because they were good at organizing a large group of people with authority. Sure, and I and I get that too, and I and I think that the the movie at least kind of goes into it, or at least with like the exit interviews that like you know I just couldn't believe I was getting away with this kind of stuff. You know, I I, I think that there's probably it's not to say that there isn't things that we can learn as to why human beings will do this to other human beings, um, but again, I think they knew that going in that prison itself is a dehumanizing experience the relationship between guard and prisoner has always been a dehumanizing experience and when even if you can fall back on the notion of i was just following orders what this film demonstrates is that you know it doesn't mean you didn't fucking enjoy it you know it doesn't mean you didn't get off on it i mean the the doctor nelson ellis's doctor even goes off said like i i became what i hated and i liked it you know, that's I, I, I think there's a danger in pushing human minds to that, because what if it's too attractive? Like that third wave experiment. I mean, those kids flocked right to it, you know, and it, what if there's nobody there to pull the plug? Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, that's how we end up with Trump. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so obviously, uh, one thing you mentioned Abu Ghraib and, and one thing that's uh, kind of worth noting is that. Uh, Zimbardo actually uh, did talk kind of at length about that at the time it occurred. A lot of the the, uh, defense from uh, people in the Bush administration and the like was that it was a few uh, rogue actors and Zimbardo was patently against that idea. He thought it was clearly a systemic problem with the military. And I think part of the reason that this might slide, even though uh, no actual policeman 
show up in this movie <laughs> at the very beginning. Pack. They actually had cops arrest these poor oh, kids. Oh, were those real cops? Actually, okay. yeah, yeah, in the experiment, they're actual fucking cops. The cops literally put them, put a blindfold on them mm-hmm. and put them in a up college. Yeah, and uh, they didn't tell the neighbors what was going on either, so it was a real, like, <laughs> awkward moment where these well, kids we, are just getting arrested. Some of the aspects of the, the uh, experiment that were, like, not just an experiment of, uh, I don't know, the gaslighting aspects are very strange in the experiment, but um, the the I think the relevance to today, uh, obviously this topic was picked because it's relevant to things that are happening in our society right now, that is... Uh, early summer 2020 for those listening in the uh, future. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think that the uh, the the conflict that still, as much as Russell was like, it's been borne out by history that it's not the case, that it's generally just a few bad apples. That is an extremely common uh, tactic, especially of people on the right still, that it's just a few, the system is fine and it is a few bad people within the system, despite mounting amounts of evidence to the contrary uh, almost every single day. And I think that that is probably the key relevance to, to, to I think, the, the theme that kind of pushes this over to, yeah, yeah I think it, it, it fits it right seems in. Like Absolutely. That really does make sense, because it seems like a lot of people overestimate how much the individual can actually fight back against a system. Indeed. Um, so, like, as you were mentioning, there was a the issue at Abu Ghraib, uh, there was a book written by Ben Bloom um, called Ranger Games. And uh, the story of Ben Bloom is that his brother was actually got out, was gotten out of jail by Zimbardo with help because he said that uh, the, short of the, the short version of the story is, is that the guy went in uh, to the Rangers, the, the U.S. Rangers, and then during training, he and his uh, group committed a, uh, an armed robbery. And during the armed robbery, um, uh, basically they got arrested. And then the defense at the end of it was that the guy was so indoctrinated by the intense training for the Rangers that it was like a cult and it was similar to the Zimbardo experiment. So Zimbardo came in and made that argument and the guy didn't end up going to jail. However, later the guy kind of fessed up to his brother who wrote the book and said, well, I actually did know that it was illegal and I wasn't really brainwashed. What was happening was that I had gotten too far into it and gone too far along to have the moral fortitude to fight back against it, which Ah. in some ways seems to suggest that uh, bad authority figures and people at the top making bad decisions pushes down through the rest of the organization. I think that's the crux of of kind of what Zach was saying and while we'll allow this council uh into the the um the category uh because now you're going to get off my rant on authoritarianism um because <laughs> it, 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 it one of the things i read recently in the it, it, to bring it back to the modern era that we're living in in this zeitgeist um there was this medium post of this cop who was going through all of his experience and why he's like yeah dude all cops are bastards and blah 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 now this is just his opinion but one of the things he said and and my wife mentioned this and i i think it's kind of true that kind of stuck with me one of the things they do in the training is they constantly show you videos of cops getting shot or cops getting killed um and that is a way to put you on your heels and to be these people are dangerous and every situation you're going to be in is dangerous. So you should always be afraid and be afraid of these people. Now in this movie, in the Stanford prison experiment, the prisoners do outnumber the guards and, you know, to, um, eight, six, one, two, I think, um, he, the Ezra uh, Miller character. Yeah, the Ezra Miller character almost kind of tries to start a little revolution. Like, and I think it's even like day one he starts doing this, which is crazy how fast this escalated. Um, you know, they're already like escaping by day two. Like they're trying to get out of there by the second day. Um, so I, I think in this case, when it comes to authoritarianism, he's the easy target right because he's the loud mouth he's the one who's pushing back which any normal human being you would think for a college student knowing that this is a college experiment would fucking do mm-hmm. um so they single him out and punish him relentlessly then there's the inhabitants of cell number three who sort of take the wind out of the sails out of 8612's little another thing it must be hard writing this fucking movie you know just referring to everybody by number it must be hard for you as a writer <laughs> to not think of them as humans right you know like because you're just putting them as a number um anyway yeah. um, well, i mean the the weird thing since you're bringing that up it is odd how this movie is structured because it is partially edited but 
when you're first watching it, the Ezra Miller character feels like he's going to be the protagonist because the, that is the true. story follows his arc right up until the midway point where in real life, just like in the movie, the guy wound up getting let go early and people have this, you know, thought that existed at the time that he was going to come back and free everybody because people were a little too into what they were doing and couldn't see the big picture of how ridiculous that idea was. Mm hmm. However, you know, they mention it and it's then kind of a letdown that the guy doesn't come back and let everybody out. But it's also, you know, it's true to life. That, that's very sure. unlikely to see happen. Like, oh, yeah. protagonists are usually a big deal in a movie because it's someone doing what you always want to do but don't actually do. <laughs> right. That's a, I, I think the closest person you could find a protagonist would be the Critup character, the guy, the Zimbardo character. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, also to, to couple in, I think the authoritarianism is the people in cell number three, because by the, the climax of the movie, it's the people in cell number three who are getting the worst out of it. They're the ones who are, and I think that underlines, I think a point that I think is often missed about, um, you know, authoritarianism. Christopher Hitchens always had a good line about it. I mean, he had lines about lots of shit that you could ignore, but this one's always kind of stuck with me, um, is that the, you know, the word systematic is used when it comes to this kind of cruelty, but it must be unsystematic as well. It has to be. You can never, there's never a line that you can make, okay, now I'm safe. Now I'm on the side of the guards. Now all I've done is comply. They'll leave me alone. You know, and I think that that, this point at the climax really underlines that pretty well. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, I mean, I don't think I, I am by no means the first to observe this. I've seen it mentioned many times, but uh, one of the uh, most pernicious aspects of authoritarianism and fascism is that if you fully remove the bottom rung, the most victimized group in a particular setting, then they just select a new group. And it's whatever the new outgroup is that becomes the the most, you know, harassed, victimized, and it'll continue on and on and on until there's theoretically just two people left, one guy beating the other to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah, Orwell the, quote. Yeah. The, classic, uh, the classic theory of the pecking order, where there's always one hen that gets pecked more than the rest. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know, guys. I've been watching a lot of Survivor. That seems to be true to life. Um, anyway, <laughs> but, um, it's great yeah. because it's satiated my sports, um, my lack of sports in life. Um, mm. But I think overall, this film, I think it's good that it doesn't have a, a protagonist because this is, does have a pretty solid ensemble cast. Um, everybody's mm -hmm. really pulling their weight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think that like, and, and also I, I, I'm a fan of Nelson Ellis, the late Nelson Ellis, rest in peace. Um, not just, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of True Blood, but he was the best part of True Blood. Um, but, uh, he played Bobby Bird in the James Brown movie and I thought he did a really good job. So I've always been kind of an Elson Ellis fan, died before his time. Um, but all the, overall, pretty good ensemble. So I think the fact that there wasn't a protagonist really helped the movie. Yeah. I mean, it felt more like, um, like a Robert Altman film, except not, oh, good uh, point. where yeah. you can't understand what anyone's saying. <laughs> That's the one thing with Robert Altman that drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is interesting that they all kind of... It makes a lot of sense they wouldn't have a protagonist in this because it is a documentary-style film. Even though it is a dramatization, they handle it in a way where it feels like, you know, you can tell there's a ticking clock. They mention the days, the time passing. Uh, you definitely feel the time and the space really well. For um, sure. I think oh, Borif, you got yourself my point, man. <laughs> you just got yourself my bonus We're gonna point. We're going to have to figure out what to do with these points at the end of this thing. But, I'm not, um, I'm, I've got a documentation. Don't you worry about it. But uh, yeah, uh, we could probably talk about some of the actors because it's it has a really I think it's a fun ensemble cast and I really like the vibe of it because, you know, Billy Crudup, of course, is the old guard who comes in and he's probably the most well-known <laughs> actor of all these actors. But then a lot of the other people who are actually appear on screen are different up and coming like sure. yeah. younger actors. For sure. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Ezra Miller, I believe. uh I think I did see or half see this film when I was at home with my dad one time, but I think Ezra Miller and Billy Crudup play father and son in the Justice League movie. I oh, think uh, that's I, correct, because I, I think he played Flash, and I think Crudup played Barry Allen's dad, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. but I could that's be wrong. Um, um, but the, the after uh, 8612 leaves, uh, the primary, I would say the... Um, Prisoner that gets the most attention is four. I can't remember their numbers. It's, it's uh, Ty eight, Sheridan. Yeah, it's eight one nine. Yeah, Ty Sheridan. Yeah. Eight one nine. Yeah. Um, 
who is not so much the most rebellious, but the one who is the closest to completely cracking mentally. Uh, that yeah, he's played by Ty Sheridan uh, of I believe we need to talk about Kevin. I think he played Kevin, and we need to talk about Kevin if I'm not mistaken. Or is that? Yeah, I thought I thought that was Ezra Miller. Oh, never mind. Okay, this guy's in the X Men movies as Cyclops. Yeah, he plays Cyclops. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's also Sheridan was Cyclops. Tree of Life as well. Yeah, you're mentioning the higher class things he's been in. He was also in like the uh, the video Ready, game Ready right, Player Ready One. Player One. That's that's the big thing you'd know oh, him from. I I did not like that book. I, I mean, didn't um, like the movie very much. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. The I didn't read or watch the movie. I watched the first twenty minutes of the movie and was like, nope, I'm gonna nope out of this. And then I read the first couple pages of the book and I was like, I don't want to see this either. So Ooh, yeah, it's not, I think my understanding is the book is worse than the movie in most in most in most ways i haven't uh, seen yeah. the movie i can't vouch for that but the missus and i listened to the audiobook on one of our uh in between trips between la and, and colorado for one of the holidays or for the wedding or i can't remember when um and i remember listening to it and i was just like boy this film is just trying to this this book is really just trying to get me to like it it's just going to mention every cultural reference that i'm very yeah. familiar with to get me to like it and at first i was like it's an okay story whatever it was entertaining okay. for the drive I, and then i get back to hollywood and i talked to one of my coworkers, and he's like yeah didn't you just feel like that was just fan service and then it just like my bubble burst i was like yeah that's all that book was why the hell uh, anyway so i think uh this is i don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole but i believe i think it's hosted by one of the guys uh from mst3k can't remember which one but there's a podcast called like 347 pages will never get back about ready player one hmm. where they that's just talk about how believable. bad the book is uh, i, I uh, buy that it was offensive like i watched like i said i watched some of the movie and i got so angry because at one point they abruptly show up at the overlook hotel and it's like the shining and it's like like the movie doctor sleep just came out and it was surprisingly good for a, a film like that but it, it was this thing where it felt like someone had just gone into a church and started pissing on all the books it was bad it was a really bad movie and i just turned it off because i was so angry and and when they when I when I read the book, I didn't know they were gonna make it into a movie at that point. Um, and then I saw that the movie was being made. And I'm like, well, that think of the intellectual rights they're gonna have to buy for that fucking movie. It'll make Who Framed Roger Rabbit look like a walk in the park. Um, yeah. But and then I found out Spielberg's right. I'm like, oh, okay, then it's gonna be no problem. Everything's gonna be solved pretty easily. Just throw some money at it. That'll that'll solve the problem. Um, but uh, we could probably bring it back to the, the yeah, movie that's we're true. Yeah, here. but I wanted to say yeah, you, um, you, you, the, the point that you made, Borf, the point that I wanted to give you uh, is because I, I wanted to talk about the movie's sense of time and space. Um, and, and you kind of took my point. So good job. Bonus point to you. <laughs> um, because you start to feel like, how long have we been doing this? You know, like it, it's not a very long movie, but it, you do start to feel like, boy, have we been here for like a month? Um yeah, if they didn't have the like the little chirons come up or the uh, the name cards come up to tell you the days, title cards, uh, I wouldn't have known the passage of time in that movie at all. Yeah, uh, it's I, that's a good point. I, I almost wonder if I would have preferred it if they didn't give you, much like the prisoners themselves, if they never gave any indication of how long it's been. Like sometimes they go to sleep, sometimes they eat, but... They don't explicitly say this is day X, Y, or Z. I think mm -hmm. that would be uh, almost better. Like it, it, speaking of The Shining, sort of like how the time cards in The Shining just become more vague or become different time periods. You don't know exactly where in time you are after a certain point. Yeah. I think you could have, because clearly what they were doing to these people is, I mean, it's, so it's, they didn't they didn't give them exposure to sunlight. Uh, it was impossible for them to get... There was no clocks, as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. um, I think the lights and were when always they on. When they talked to them, even when the lies were so flimsy, they always maintained this charade of, like, you need to get out on parole. You need to get your life back. 8612 is not free. Mm -hmm. She went to maximum security. <laughs> and it's like, clearly <laughs> that's not true. Like, any of these people thinking about it for a second or in their right minds would be like, well, no... There is no oh, maximum what, security. He went upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of the one of the details because I went down the rabbit hole and watched all the documentaries about this that I could find before this. Um, one oh, of man. the they didn't they didn't show the uh, this particular case, but one of the characters or I shouldn't say characters one of the students 
carved the uh, calendar into the wall so that they could keep track of time because they had started losing that thing. So someone had just taken a knife and like did Monday through Friday and just started like scratching so that they could kind of keep track of it. I mean, this is sort of sounding like what we're all dealing with right now in <laughs> quarantine. Where it's this like, would have been more relevant for Colorado space, buddy. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just funny because I've been having that a lot too, where it's just like, what day is it? Am I due today? Do yeah. I have to go to work today? But right. I don't go to work. I stay home, but I turn the computer on today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does seem like Chris is having his own mini theme of uh, <laughs> <laughs> stories about people slowly losing their sense of sanity and time. <laughs> oh, I, I, I thought that when I was watching this movie, like this is a classic Borif pick um, because it's it's very minimal. I know you like like yeah. things that are that are don't waste a lot of time. It's very. Yeah. Um, it's, I like it, the I like the classic. I think Plato did it. It was the uh, the unity <laughs> of place and theme. Uh, the best stories are places that take course in one space on one theme over one length of time, over one day specifically. Mm-hmm. That's the classic thing he always argued made mm-hmm. it a good story, which I always thought was ridiculous because that doesn't make it a good story. That just is like a weird metric to have. Anyway. And I, but I, since you watched so much of the exit interviews and, and kind of going off what Zach was saying, you know, I, one of the things that I thought was interesting um, that I'm not sure why they did it because you don't see it, you see it done every now and then, but it doesn't happen that often that at the end of the movie, they're doing the exit interviews. Now, these exit interviews, and they're shot like they're, made at the time so i've got to believe these are real videos out there that these yeah. are real actual film interviews they are yeah um yeah. so i'm wondering why they didn't use the actual interview footage for the stinger at the end um and just using the actors i i don't have a problem with the choice but i just uh-huh. think it's an interesting choice because I you see ta- too often than not most biopics most most things based off a true story will give you that little vignette you know like a meet I, remember the titans or whatever like you know I he su- died in vietnam or whatever i don't know i would not be surprised if the actual interviews are more less eloquent or these these things that people are saying are more uh, sprawled out or spread across the interview, and so they did a condensed reenactment instead of playing the actual thing. That's yeah, fair. that's 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 pretty true to it because I fair. watched I watched all the documentaries, and these are all um, uh, these are all actual like interviews they did. Like it's pretty much verbatim uh, to the point where when I heard the actors saying the lines, it felt weird to me because I was like, oh, he didn't pause there, like the other guy paused. Uh, also, um, the it would be difficult to recognize who was actually supposed to be who in these interviews because like the Ezra, the Ezra Miller character does not look like the actual act or the original person did. And the character of the, uh, the guy who thought he was cool hand Luke. Yeah. Uh, John Wayne. The, yeah. Yeah. The guy who thought he was the, the, the big bad cop. Yeah. Uh, that guy doesn't look like he does in the movie. Like he's a blonde kid. And he also comes across as kind of a shit bag uh, when he's talking like his, He's 18. There's a lot of bravado. Like they talk to the guy later and he seems fine. He's like some more. He's only 18. Now. Yeah. Wow. He's like 18, 19 year old kid. But like later, you know, he went off and became like a mortgage broker. He's like a fairly like calm dude now. I don't know. I have a feeling he might be a little right wing, but that's just my Duh. gut instinct. <laughs> um, but almost all the interviews he gave at the time, it may, it's real hard to humanize that character because of how he comes across and what he says and the fact that he's kind of gleeful in the amount of like uh, torture that he, you know, subjected everybody else to. Cause he's like, it was just crazy, man. They just didn't say no to anything I did. And it was like, well, that doesn't mean you should keep going. And somebody should really have uh, like that, that urge makes me upset. Like I know that people do that and it's a common thing, but like having been in like a slightly authoritarian situation like this in college with the RA situation, <laughs> I don't think I was ever that much of a dick. Nah. nah. Smuggled beer all the time, Bor, if you never noticed. Um, anyway, <laughs> well, that's just uh, because I was bad at my job too. <laughs> um, no, that's, and I think that that's, that's a fair point. And, and I think that having, and it keeps a level of consistency with the actual, because I think that the way it ends is basically what you were saying, what that guy said is that like, well, they just never stopped me. Um, you know, and, but I think that that's sort of the point of the whole experiment is that like, it, it is more about the depths of cruelty and how level of imagination you can go. Cause one of the thing that eight, six, one, two says it, I, I, I couldn't imagine being that good at it the way you were that good at it. That mm-hmm. inventive. Yeah. 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 yeah that's um, true. Uh, it's uh 
like that you know that happens sometimes like sometimes if you're in a situation and, and like in that, his like, mind and in his mind he was just yeah he was just ripping off yeah. the character from cool hand luke that's all he was fucking doing um it, it, yeah. not verbatim but i mean that was the persona the benevolent slave owner sort of guy you know in 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 cool hand luke um well, background on that guy in real life is that he was a drama student in high school um so see he that was, makes sense that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah that makes a total lot of sense well i mean he clearly went method you know yeah. And yeah, yeah. Went, went full on um, and, uh before we move on from it real quick since we're talking about the acting billy crudup uh did an incredible zimbardo uh in this i uh if you've ever seen an interview with zimbardo he has a very specific talking style and a way in which he speaks and crudup i think did a great job writing that line between doing an impression and emoting um was Zimbardo still alive when this film oh, was yeah. still alive he, now? Okay. He's still alive. Yeah. Okay. He's okay. 85. Yeah. He, okay. Uh, okay. he was heavily involved in the actual writing and production of this. Cause he, okay. like everything that, you see, again, he was there for it. He was on set. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that because again, it's not like they, they paint him and necessarily, they don't whitewash him or what he did, that's his true, own yeah. complacency in it. So I, I gotta say that's pretty well done. For this guy, I mean, his, his, uh, I don't know, theoretically his, eagerness to uh his fidelity to scientific results i guess for all of that uh, aspect of his character it does seem like nowadays he must be a man who whatever he values he does not have an intense degree of ego because this movie does not i mean it makes him appear at points nearly sociopathic in his single-mindedness and also at times deeply deeply shallow in his scientific rigor yeah, that's absolutely it, true. I think that it could also be that his wife, uh, he marries the lady there. That thing in the movie where he marries uh, Christina Maslock is real. Like he married a student and they're still married to this day. And I think she was like a co-author on some of the papers that he wrote later. So I have a feeling she's a pretty intense personality that he would not be able to get away with whitewashing or clearing up his past or buffing over things. Like I think she would probably call him on it. Yeah. And it seems like that is the one area where you could have fudged the facts. Because like we say, that's the area where there is probably a lot less firsthand documentation. You probably could have had him being like, behind the scenes, I was like really struggling with my morality. And they do not go that way until the yeah. very end. I think it's really good that they do that, though, because it's it's um, I think a, usually it's a very polite lie that people always want to have the good guy character that they can say, oh, well, that's who I would be in the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like uh, we briefly mentioned it, I think a couple weeks ago, um, Hidden Figures, mm -hmm. the, uh, the scene in which um, Kevin Costner like takes a hammer and starts breaking down the uh, uh, the thing that says coloreds only or whites only on the bathroom. Yeah, right. That never happened. Yeah, that, I, that doesn't what? happen. What? Well, no. well, it's one of those things that, like, you can tell. I think it's a knee-jerk reaction that people are worried that people in the audience won't have anyone that they can, yeah. like, see themselves in, and they always need the white savior or white character to be the good guy so they can back it up. But then, you know, you see a movie like Get Out, and there are no good white people in it, and I still enjoy it because it's. I, mean, I don't care that there are no good white people. They're bad people in the movie. I think there's a reason that when asked what white people Malcolm X would let join the revolution. He said, John Brown, end of list. <laughs> <laughs> that seems accurate. Yeah. And yeah. It, so it, it is, you know, and that's why this film's kind of weird because you yourself are really watching this, you know, and it, it kind of goes back to the rear window where you're kind of complacent in this kind of watching this unfold. Um, you know, but I, it, that being said, I think that it's it is too often whenever you're writing a true story or a biopic or something like that, there is always the instinct to sort of I don't want to say whitewash is necessarily fair, but, you know, you want to kind of and and also you want to make him look like the good, the good guy, but also you want somebody, an actor to play the guy and actors really like playing good guys. You know, they like having, if, mm -hmm. even if he's a bad guy, there's something redeemable about it, you know? Like, like I, um, I don't know if that's true. I think a lot of actors really enjoy playing bad guys. I've, I think I've, I think it depends on the actor, you know? I, I know Paul does. Newman really, really, really liked to play bad people. He really, because he was such a pretty boy and he always got cast in pretty boy roles. So he always wanted to play like a, a kind of a real scumbag, not yeah. nice yeah. guy. Um, 
Well, the so, bad guys always get the most fun in the scenes. Though. That's they true. Get the, that they is, get the cool I, I believe speeches. Orson Welles said that too. Yeah, they get the cool <laughs> yeah. speeches. They get the good moments. I mean, even Orson Welles, like he has the fucking cuckoo speech. Oh which, man, and he doesn't even show up for half the movie, yeah, but he's all the, you talk about. It's yeah. great. Did we watch the third man? I think we watched I don't that think one in the past. Did I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I mean, that's I, okay. We have. We'll just call it a film school watch. We watch it together, <laughs> and just there were no microphones around. Or if we had an episode, mm-hmm. we just didn't have anybody recording it. Um, but no, and that's why I think that this is a it, the continuation of this theme of guards and prisoners and cops and pedestrians. <laughs> um, like it, it, it is this notion of that the guards are sort of victims of the system as well that it unearths a cruelty in you that you maybe didn't think you had um and you do it out of fear as well you don't want to piss off the boss or you don't want to lose your job or you want to piss off the other guards you know to say that especially when you you fit into the ecosystem exactly yeah for fear of perhaps even becoming like we say the bottom person on this totem pole and when they're done fucking with the other prisoners you're the first one they turn to after that yep yeah and um if, yeah go ahead if you could dehumanize anybody you could dehumanize anybody you know that's yeah. what i think that anyway I, I learned that from the prisoner uh but yeah a <laughs> uh, good yep. point of comparison <laughs> yeah. another movie they are not a, no one says I am not a number, I am a free man, but if only they had been watching British TV just a few years old earlier. And the, you know what? In week two, they did have a giant inflatable ball that well, they were right. going to release. That's right. But Zimbardo was like, no, it's too much. No. Then they, they break into the giant rocket ship, and it's a guy in a monkey outfit. Yeah, the second uh, week was just going to be someone else coming in saying they were the prison warden, just a different person each day for no, that, entire, that's no right. reason, yeah. not explaining it. Yeah, but um, I, I, I I will say though I mean not to I, I we get to have a laugh at the prisoners because it's so but I I I, it, I watched a documentary about the prisoner pretty recently and they were saying that like one of the first episodes was this conversation between number two and number six where it, number two is opining about what a great society the village would be if the village were everywhere um, and how he says this is where you sort of get the notion of what McGowan very much ham-fistedly punches you over the head at the end of the show uh that number two is a prisoner as well mm-hmm. that number two is a form of his own prison and number six is his warden now again <laughs> how you get that out of the last episode of the prisoner is beyond me but <laughs> that's what i got out of it and this show kind of this this movie really reminded me of that of that yeah the guards are sort of trapped in this insidious system you know, Chomsky always brought up the fact that there might have been nice slave owners. I'm not saying that there weren't benevolent slave owners, but it was the system of slavery right. that was monstrous. So therefore, yeah. by participating in the system, they are therefore monsters. Yeah, the system's kind of the the prison you carry around in your head. It's always watching you. That's right. Or just yeah. how society just keeps you down, Patrick so, McGowan. Uh, go ahead and viewers, check out The Prisoner. If you can watch the first episode and not want to kill yourself, you'll probably like the show. <laughs> oh, come on. It's not that's, that bad. Let's, let's no, no. I agree. I like I like The Prisoner. But if you don't like The Prisoner, you're going to fucking hate The Prisoner. Oh, yeah. it, it, and, it, and we should be clear. We're referring to the old one from the 60s, no, yes, not yes, the one not from the A&E. Ian McKellen. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, Jim Caviezel, no, that, I think, yeah, was. Yeah, that was... Uh, I really yeah. wanted to like that, but no, it was yeah. not good. It, and in terms of things about how the system is evil, it's evergreen to recommend The Wire. So there you that's go. True. That is true. <laughs> um, uh, yep, that is true. But uh, the one thing about this, uh, the way this movie is constructed, that is unique from at least anything we've seen thus far, because it is so heavily reliant on footage that really exists, accounts that are like word for word there they are they are you know around and when i've read about this movie almost all of it the dialogue the scenes are lifted d- directly from what happened the only change was occasionally one character would say something instead of another just for you know whatever reason so the try up of this movie and it does work it, it feels very tense it doesn't let up like the whole time i was as someone who did not know the extent to which these experiments went I was like, especially after that first hit, like, when is somebody going to beat the shit out of somebody else? And it never quite happens. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. the triumph of this is in the writing and the editing uh, and the acting, the way in which they take these events and put them next to each other 
in a way to consistently keep that drama going. Certainly in the real experiment, there was downtime or things they could have focused on that would have slowed down the tension or dragged the story that occurred in these six days. And so I think the real triumph is how they organized these events to make it kind of relentless. Yeah, it managed to go up in a really interesting arc where the first moment where you see someone get hit, you do have, at least I felt the same way, where I was like, oh, somebody should really step in and make this stop. But then yeah, they kind like, of game over, we're the, done. Yeah, we're but done. then they skip past it and they're like, oh, no, we're going to keep going. And things just kept getting worse and worse. And I was, it, uh, you could kind of see as the film was progressing, Zimbardo was kind of getting into it a little bit. Like he was really not seeing the harm. He was just seeing the, what he perceived as results. But in the end, when it got to the situation where, um, uh, there's a spoiler about this, but the, a situation in which they simulated, um, some of the men simulated humping other men as a form of degradation. It was a very uncomfortable scene in general, but then to see that Zimbardo was watching that and not immediately jumping out of his chair to go tell them to stop, he waited until it was essentially over to go in there and stop it, um, was really horrifying. It was a, a moment where I didn't know, because I know that the thing ended, but I didn't know when it ended. So I wasn't sure if something worse was about to happen or what might have occurred. Um, so it it was definitely interesting to see how that progressed and then understand that he had just had a conversation with his, you know, girlfriend who eventually turned into his wife and that that didn't really impact in the moment on making him stop. It had to have something demonstrably obscene happen in front of him before he decided, oh, well, now I should act. Go ahead. I, I, I sort of think that it, it, it also reminded me of the, the comic book V for Vendetta. Um, not the movie, the, the comic book, where there's a scene with the big brother type, the, the, you know, the main dude. And he's like watching, just watching people. And he's almost getting off. We kind of talked about this in an older episode of the film Concussion with uh, the lives of others, um, where this notion of sort of you watching people knowing you have control of it is a weird form of power and that kind of power sends certain endorphins to your brain and i think it's interesting that this experiment devolved into sexual degradation um and i wonder is while he was watching that is if he didn't enjoy it a little too much and that was the breaking point where he said all right i i i needed to stop because maybe i enjoyed this a little too much um Uh I think, well, for one, um, uh, going back briefly to the point where the kid first hits the other kid, which obviously he kind of did accidentally in the context of the scene, like he just got lost control for a second, hit the other kid. Um, well, he it did does seem like, him. yeah, the other one, the other kid uh, went after him first and he hit him in retaliation, yeah. etc. But it does seem like that is the point where, uh, like that is clearly the point in the movie where we are supposed to be like, okay, this is when the experiment is officially no longer under any sort of reasonable control. Right. It has this gone no beyond longer, the strict. This yeah. is just, just a fucking college experiment now. You know, yeah. now it's turned into something very different. Yeah. But uh, the degradation, as you said, turns into, I think almost the first thing they do to these kids is, I mean, they strip them naked and put them in dresses. Yeah, that's they true. They feminize yeah, them. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah, uh, obviously, like, with the scene at the end where they simulate sex, it's like kind of... Uh, they, uh, that's another form of, I guess, like they're, they're yeah, perverting their true. sexuality. Assumedly, most of these guys are straight. I don't know their actual orientations, but especially in the seventies, like the stigma against homosexuality would have been very extreme. Yeah, they, they definitely were using homophobia and, uh, other things as sort of a cudgel on these kids. Um, yeah. And sexism. Yeah. Like they were openly yeah. calling them dresses, making them, calling them ladies. Like, yeah. Yeah, a, a big part of that at the start, which is also probably something that would be tied at the time, like you said, was the fact that they tried to depersonalize all the men. So they viewed taking away their sense of sexuality as part of that, which is kind of an odd thing to think of now, because, you know, in this day and age, um, people are a lot more. Well, at least I like to think people are a lot more progressive as far as like, you know, transgender issues and things like that. But at the yeah. time, it was very clearly uh, a complete side gender normative thing and on top of that when you also look at the distribution that's one of the other issues people have brought up is that there are no black kids in this group 
Mm. Um, the that, yeah, and I the distribution's I, I, real. There was one Asian American student, and I believe they had a one person who was an African American on staff who was introduced in the film um, as having been incarcerated at one point. I, I want to um, talk about him yeah. real quick because there were, there were two there were two uh, black men on the staff. One was right. a fellow professor, and the other was. Uh, someone who was brought in because of his experience with the prison system, from what I understand. Right, he was almost like a consultant or something. Yes, it uh, seems yeah. like that. Yeah. I couldn't verify the additional staff, so I wasn't sure which of them were real and which of them might have been mm. um, added. Well, I, so that's the only reason I didn't mention them. I think he's probably okay. the most interesting one out of the staff outside of uh, the Zimbardo character, just because, you know, at first, this almost seems like vengeance to him. Um, this almost seems like I'm going to inflict this system onto unsuspecting people because this system was inflicted on me um and it's it's sort of strange because in a way i found myself at the beginning a little bit sympathetic to him about where he said like you think this is real prison they're making you do jumping jacks and yeah. push-ups um and i there was a part of me that said like he might be right you know like it, this might not be nothing but then why don't you just study a fucking prison then What's the point of putting unsuspecting innocent people in prison? And then there's we've got loads of them in the prison system. Um, and they're already in a quasi-controlled environment. Um, what you don't yeah. have is the insight into the guards, which is, I think, the, the valuable yes. part about it. Um, but in any case, I think that he, his insight was the most interesting and his kind of evolution into rejecting it uh, is interesting as well. Because, again, he seemed to be the first one to sort of really whether he wanted to admit it or not but he doesn't he enjoys it like he gets off on it, it this is his vengeance this is well he definitely encouraged it to get more violent and more serious um a couple times Zimbardo was mentioning like should we pull back and he's like no it should be more intense because it would be what a real prison's like um the scene in which he talks about um where he was included in the parole board was an actual occurrence that happened and um uh, he has a quote. They didn't have it in the movie, but there was something to the effect of like, uh, these are a bunch of white boys that are scared. Uh, Never been punched. In, yeah, they're just like very like soft, afraid of being punched. Um, which, you know, when you're watching the movie feels absolutely accurate. But when he has the moment after, because um, he kind of mentions things that I don't think he says that exact thing, but he says things close to it. I think he says something about being punched. But he goes into detail after that about how it changed him and his perception of himself being in those parole hearings because he essentially was just uh, parroting back things that he'd had said to him. And it made him feel worse as a person having devalued people and described them and talked to them in that way. Right, but I, I think the crux of it is that he actually liked it and he was having a good time while doing it. And that's and he didn't like that. He, I think that realization into your character, this is why I think I, I'm I'm impressed that Zimbardo um, recognized this about that era in his life. That like there is a point where you will look at yourself and you are shocked that what you will enjoy watching, even as a grown man. You know, like it's not like Zimbardo was a kid when this was happening. I mean, he was younger, but he wasn't a kid. I mean, and these kids, they're 18. You know, and especially the guards. You know, they come from an era. These ch these kids come from an anti-authoritarian, authoritarian sort of. That's in the fad now. So to yeah. get that level of authority, they know how to play that caricature. They know how to just kind of embody yeah. that. The I mean, the opening sequence of the movie, the the entry interviews for the prospective test subjects. Uh, I don't. I I almost wish I had rewatched that opening, knowing like the faces of which characters ended up in which roles a little better. Good point. Because every single person shown says that they would prefer to be. A prisoner, like for various reasons, but the most, the final one, and I think the most, you know, heavy, like related to the theme reason is nobody likes guards. But yeah. that was I, the guy I don't who know. turned out to be the most intense guard was the last one he said that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. John see, Wayne, that's wow. why I wanted to rewatch because I, I imagine that that's accurate that all those people in real life said that they wanted to be prisoners, including some of the folks who showed up, turned out to be some of the worst of the guards. I got like I said, I was impressed with all the acting. Nobody really, they, everyone pulled their weight exactly where they needed to pull it. You know, especially on the staff side, um, which you didn't have the the benefit or disadvantage of the recorded 
document of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I, I, I'll, I, I kind of, on my final thoughts on the movie, I think that like it, it, a hard concept to execute that I think they did really well. And, and I think that it's to make this as a narrative um, without being sucked into the sort of dehumanization of it is difficult to do. Um, and I think this movie did it pretty well, actually. Um, and I think it's an interesting microcosm of what we deal with today with regard to the authority versus the ruled. Um, and this is why, again, Bora, if you will get off on a, on a, this is circumstantial, you know, this will be the, the, the 2000 election by the Supreme Court. This is no precedent, by the way. Um, so I, I, overall, I, I really enjoyed it because I think that it's a tough subject to do and it's, it is useful to know how far you can take it and how far institutions will push individuals and a system itself is a weapon and that even though you yourself are just a cog in this system you are somewhat culpable and the prisoners themselves what what it is what they could have done is is shown actual prisoners i mean and this this is a plight that is existing today um and how prisoners are treated um and i think that that's an experiment that I wish that's the overall take I wish this experiment would have taken and not just how easy the trap fall of abuse of power can be I wish it was more like the very notion of how we think of prisons is a systematic failure and systematic cruelty and forces humans to either everyone in this movie is either barking orders at somebody or being interrogated like that's and that's I think that that's should be demonstrated. I think that should be the overall takeaway of this experiment, not necessarily that, you know, uh, people can be bad if you make them bad. Um, yeah. uh, briefly, uh, James Wolk, guy who plays one of the more sadistic guards, not John Wayne, but I think it's the other sort of main guard. Is that correct? Uh, James Wolk, the actor, uh, for reference, uh, is someone you may know as Bob from Mad Men, as in not great Bob. And he was the racist ass senator on the Watchmen show that happened uh, last year. Yep, that's so, correct. That is correct. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah, that, the great meme of uh, not great Bob. Um, yeah, it, uh, again, I, I, it is impressive how Billy Crudup being the, the kind of main guy in this film. A, doesn't really draw too much of attention to himself, um, blends in perfectly, and I think everybody else who's showing up is a working actor, and they're bringing their A-game, so good job for a small-budget film. Pretty good. Uh, For me, I really liked the music, um, Ah, which you didn't really talk about, but it it had a really timely vibe. It seemed like music I've heard from that era. Like, I would have, like... um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears is the band that I kept thinking of because it has a lot of percussives and bells and things like that. It has sort of a similar vibe to this. Um, the other part of this that was really awesome was the art design because it really does nail like 70s and 60s, I felt. Mm-hmm. And uh, Especially like an academic building, you know, where yeah. it's just sort yeah. of bland and, and, and it's perfect setting for a prison, you know, yeah. if you think about it. It's very like hard edges and, you know, everything's just yeah. really monotone. And the cinematography was good, too, just because it goes from, like, uh, being wider shots to being more and more closed in on people. And then the first time they step outside to have the argument, that's the first time you can see more than, like, 15 feet in either direction. And then it's just, like, this whole world is opened up, and then Zimbardo's having a, an argument with his, like, with Christina. And it's suddenly like, oh, okay, there's some depth of field here. There's things happening in the far distance, even though there wasn't anybody there. Right. So it just and sort it, of felt like stepping it, out into the real world. Yeah, and in contrast to that, then immediately following is the the climax where everything's real tight, everything's real like telephoto lens, everything's real handheld and just real tense. Um, so yeah, I I think and then I I love that you brought up the music too because I, I I again I know why this is a Borif pick because it's very minimal. It's not there doesn't draw a lot of attention to itself. It only it it adds to a specific scene and doesn't just like you know like oh hey here's a song you know or or swell up in this melodramatic you know because I know how much you love melodrama Borif. Um, <laughs> like uh, um, so like yeah it was very minimal and I thought that was impressive. It really did rely on the sound design of this film relied on the dialogue and the atmosphere and not necessarily the music. So Zach, what did you think? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I uh, appreciated the degree to which this uh, was, you know, 
for the most part a fairly like kind of unrelenting feeling film that you did kind of uh, get the feeling that you were trapped in there with uh, a lot of these prisoners. Well, our discussion about the time cards that say what day it is, I almost wonder if there was a, a, an attempt to make this so that perhaps nothing like those cards were gone and perhaps even some of the stuff that occurred either anything that occurred outside of the experiment or even behind the scenes of the experiment were omitted. Uh, obviously, that would deeply cut up on Zimbardo's internal journey throughout this thing, but it would have had an effect on the audience of making them feel as deeply trapped as a lot of the prisoners, which could have been an interesting direction to go. However, that said, I think this uh, still was uh, successful. I think the, like, the, the examination of Zimbardo and the, like, sort of larger looming structures of the um the folks who are running the experiment but not directly creating or causing the uh the abuse and merely looking the other way at it is an important facet in understanding how this kind of stuff permeates and trickles down and that sort of thing um and also uh the conversation that we had about uh the way in which these authoritarian ideals and attitudes seep into people uh, without them to some degree even knowing or just because it's easier not to swim against the tide in some way. Uh, all very relevant and telling conversation uh, because I think it was a good, uh, a good synthesis of a conversation about sort of political and moral philosophy and just film in general. I'm going to give you each a point, but I'm going to throw it on the ground in a closet and you can't have it till you eat it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's funny. I, I've always wondered with this particular movie, if it would work well as a stage play. Cause that was something. That's, that good, that's, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. I'll bet like you could do it. It would not be extraordinarily hard. Yeah. It would be, it would be, it would be disjointed. You'd almost have to do it like Zach's proposing, um, where like, and it would, it would be kind of weird because then it would just kind of Zimbardo comes in and said, "Okay, everyone go home," um, but it would kind of leave you with that feeling of sort I of. I wonder, like, could you have Zimbardo even in a non-speaking role or a very minimally speaking role in sort of a side stage that lights up with him watching the screen sometimes and non-verbally expressing what he's feeling? That could be interesting. I, I, yeah. Show up at a microphone, just be like, all right, kids, I'll go home now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, that, uh, uh, I think, did we kind of give our final notes on this? If we kind uh, of said I what think we I'd, said? I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, well done, Barf. Well done. Um, again, mm -hmm. you were skating on the rules, but I think it, it follows, it's, it's enough of the same theme of like blind spotting with the cop killing and how much you blame yourself, but you don't know how much you're responsible. I think it kind of marries into that. So, well done. Well, uh, two pretty solid uh, picks for our theme uh, <laughs> to, to marinate about and try and... Uh, yeah, I, I have a I have a hard time ever like really sticking correctly to a theme. I will probably always try to be arguing something slightly outside the theme. But I'm not. I I'm gonna go ahead and say not gonna not gonna be disqualifying this one. But again, you play it too <laughs> fast on, and loose. Yeah, you're you're on thin ice, Mister. You, know. you get those two strikes from Russell and me. Like that's right. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, Mister Correction is officer. All right. <laughs> um, well, I guess it's time for me to lay down my choice. We have talked about some very, very serious films. Um, and I think that part of the plight of shitty police, you really have to get at the root of it. Um, and I kind of talked to you guys off air about I was kind of going back and forth between uh, uh, two choices. And I think I landed on one because I think it's a great film to really highlight the moment that we're living in and I'm of course talking about the 1984 classic Steve Gutenberg Police Academy that is my <laughs> film that I am making oh you guys watch I was, Kim uh, Cattrall 
1984, Kim Cattrall, uh-huh. Steve Gutenberg. Uh, it, that's funny you pick that one. We can get into it on I, that show, but it's actually from a real political issue that was happening in California at the time. Amazing. Hey, amazing. I, 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 I uh, particularly, I chose this uh, this topic because there was room for, for different genres. <laughs> I, I won't deny that. Hey, uh, are, are you going to say when, that anyone police academy aren't shitty cops? I dare hey, you to say that, sir. <laughs> I won't deny that there were times when uh, a little movie called Hot Fuzz went across my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Keystone Cops is definitely a temptation, <laughs> but you actually went for it. You you went out there and I'm, I know, I'm, I know. I'm, I'm happy uh, that I, we're actually going to see something that's uh, a little more right? up, upbeat right now. It's nice. That's what I, I, yeah. I, I. Another reason I thought of that, just not just because I would big bore sit through a Steve Gutenberg film. The thought of that just has kept me up at night with joy. Um, <laughs> the, um, but also like I, I, it's funny. I think. Because we, I think part of the problem with what we're dealing with today is how this version, this myth of the cop has been cemented in sure. our heads for so, so long. And, and of a course, reason- a perfect example of that would be Police Academy. Well, there's a reason that people are like, how is Brooklyn Nine-Nine going to continue after this, these events? Yeah, the way comedy and police relate to each other is totally relevant to the current times. Um, but and, I think- and that's why we should use Police Academy. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, if we want to have a real informed conversation about Police Academy, we probably do need to watch the entire series. <laughs> Get Mission to Moscow in here. The one with, we, it's really not a Police Academy that's, movie. Is it a Police Academy movie if you don't have Bobcat? I mean, uh, let's be real. Yeah, I mean, Bobcat Goldweight was, or Gold Goldweight was the uh, the heart of that. But yeah, it's also but he only showed up in his, the second one. Yeah, it's haunted his career for the rest of his life. That's the thing. Anyway, Police Academy, eat it, suckers. All right. Well, um, that's been the... I don't know how to do an ending. Uh, Well, thanks, everybody. Um, Make sure to check us out on Twitter or any of our social medias. They'll be in the show notes. Also, you can find us damn near anywhere now. We are on every single podcast directory that I could find. And that includes Spotify, YouTube, which is not really a podcast directory, but we have a That's where the video version there. is. Yeah, you can see our yep. handsome faces. Apologize, yep. Apologies. Uh, the first one is the only one we've released so far. I was deeply out of frame in that first one because I did not know it was going to be a video podcast <laughs> at the time. Zach was practicing his two-face costume, so he didn't want to reveal it. I, I mean, don't I got to tell you, I it's a great years yeah, ago. That's true. That's true. But hey, practice. You got to, you know, just because, you know, John Elway threw a ball to me and he didn't show up to practice. Um, I, I like the fact that it was quadrant framing. You you really went for the <laughs> Mr. Robot. It's so far off to the side that it makes you wonder, what's up with that guy? Where did he go? Yeah. Yeah, that was like anime, too, like half close-ups and stuff. Yeah, I was like really getting into the the rule of thirds in terms of cinematography. Mm-hmm. See, look mm-hmm. at it. We're, he's learning, Chris. We got him. He's learning. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, does anybody else have anything they got to pitch? Uh, I have another podcast. It's a comedy history podcast called The Revisionists. It's a podcast where we tell the real story of a person or event from history, and then we tell a crazy, crazy alternate version that is, you know... So in one version of the story, the real version, George Washington will be some guy who had dentures made out of slaves' teeth, and then in the other version, it'll be two kids in a long coat. So, uh, and then then by the end, you guys come to a synthesis of the the truth, which in your case was two kids in a coat. Yeah, right. We vote on which of the two is actually what happened in history. So, uh, yeah, uh, you can find that wherever podcasts is um i got nothing i'm on this podcast thanks for watching i'm russell carlson (laughs) all right and i'm chris boroff uh see y'all later bye would you rather be a guard or a prisoner prisoner why is that nobody likes guards (laughs) 